What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? Thanks for joining us today. My name's Ken Swanson. This is the AP Laboratory. It's the 100th episode of the AP Laboratory. Uh, kind of at a loss for words. Can't believe that we've got done 100 of these. Speaking of, we first... Find him on Twitter at Chief in Carolina. Matthew Lane. Hello, my friend. Happy 100th episode to you, my friend. Yeah, this this is a big deal. This is, uh, we are 100 episodes deep now. We're looking to go for another 200. I don't know if we're going to make it that far. Because quite simply, once we're in the Super Bowl, I think Craig Stout and I might just ride off into the sunset and just live at the Ruby Slipper in Mobile, Alabama. We've kind of <laughs> talked about this a little bit. What say you, Craig? Oh, man. I'm I'm definitely up for living at the Ruby Slipper. I basically do when we're in Mobile anyway, so might as well. Yes, 100 episodes. Um, to everybody listening right now, everybody who's ever sent us a question, interacted with us, given us a review, give us more five-star reviews, please. Thanks, guys. Uh, <laughs> we love and appreciate all of you. Um, we love talking football with each other. We do it a lot. Uh it's nice just to be able to talk to these guys, a couple good buddies of mine, but it's nice that you guys also interact with us and that we get so much feedback from you. I, I see people growing and learning in their knowledge of football and asking questions. Like over the course of this year and a half, I've seen a lot of the same people be around and I've interacted with a ton of them through email, DMs, things like that. And I see the understanding of the game growing and things like that. And we just hear from you guys all the time and it's wonderful to watch and see that grow. I feel like we get great questions from you guys that are, they help push us forward. The off season's rough. Some stretches during the seasons can be rough to kind of get up and want to talk about this. And you guys kind of get us over that hump. So thank you so, so much for listening, interacting, everything like that. We love and appreciate all of you. 100%. Uh, incredibly grateful. I don't think any of us really thought the show would go where it's gone to this point. Um, and we're continually overwhelmed and filled with gratitude for for all of you. And, I mean, we're, 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 we're just getting started. We're just getting started. We still got, you know, a long ways to go with this show, we think. Uh, and and hopefully <laughs> until we win the Super Bowl, until we win the Super Bowl, the then it's just going to be me talking to myself and doing Matt Lane impressions. Uh, and Can I hear one of those? Impressions. And, and that might that might actually that might be an off season project just for fun. I'm, I'm going to subscribe. <laughs> We've got a lot of questions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do your Matty Lane impression. Let's go. Uh, no, I don't. I'm not feeling it today, oh, okay. especially since. Okay. <laughs> Actual news happened. The Chiefs uh, gave us a, a nice little present here for our 100th episode anniversary, whatever you want to call it. Terrell Suggs is a Kansas City Chief, folks. Uh, he was released by the Arizona Cardinals last week, uh, presumably to help him 
make one kind of last run uh, right off into the sunset with a good football team. Uh, and a good football team claimed him, I would argue, the best team in the AFC. Uh, AFC, whoops, I said it. Uh, look out. Uh, my swag is back. Especially after Terrell Suggs signs with this team. Just came out uh, in the last 20 minutes. Terrell Suggs is planning on reporting to the Kansas City Chiefs. There was some you know, talk that maybe he, he might not. He might, you know retire because Baltimore didn't claim him. Well, now he's going to sack Lamar Jackson in the AFC Championship game. Craig, mm-hmm. you've already done some work on Terrell Suggs. What are you seeing from him? I, Terrell Suggs still has juice. Uh, he's not the player that he was in the past, but I don't think anybody would expect him to be. He's 37. Uh, he's been in the league forever, but he still has power. He can still corner a little bit. Uh, He sets a really hard edge in the run game. And when going away from him, you can't like try and reach block him with a tight end or wide receiver or anything like that. He identifies pulling blockers immediately and shoots into the backfield. Really is a kind of a force with his football IQ and how quickly he can discern things, which, you know, comes from experience. He's always been a smart player, in that regard, he's just gotten more and more experience. He's, you know, learned as he's going gone along. Now, he doesn't have the burst that he had, you know, back in the day. He's not as bendy as he was back in the day. He's having to kind of rely on timing the snap count, which, and I know some Chiefs fans are going to cringe at this a little bit because they got D Ford PTSD, but my man tries to time the snap count a little too often and <laughs> will have some neutral zone infractions and some no, offsides. No. All right, well, no, we're, shut it down. Already hit the move. <laughs> F minus. He's, uh, he's, got, he's got five of those on the season through speaking 13 Speaking of five, games. if you want to leave us a five-star review, you can. <laughs> uh, the good news is about Terrell Suggs, he can't wear 55. So there's at least that. Maddie, That's do you have anything to add on Terrell Suggs? No, I mean, the big thing I want to say is adding Terrell Suggs just means you don't have to play Tano Passanio or Damone Harris as many reps as a defensive end. And while both those guys have had pretty good years, they've definitely helped the team out and everything, you're not being forced into playing them all these extra reps anymore. Terrell Suggs doesn't need to play 40, 50, 60 snaps for the Chiefs. You can cut that in half. You're just going to use him in situations, let him get some run. He's good to help the rotation, the defensive ends, because it's not like Demoni Harris, Passanio, as much as we may like their kind of progression this year, it's not like either guys are starting level players right now. So just adding Suggs helps keep everybody fresh, and then that helps them all play a little bit better as the game goes on. Uh, The only reason I could see Terrell Suggs not wanting to come here is he's just afraid of his pec tearing because that has been the trend <laughs> with the defensive ends for this football team. Obviously, this move is massive because Alex Okafor was just placed on IR in a, um, a move to go with this because he tore his pec. Uh, I don't see any downside. We're going to just ask the first question here, though, just because Chief Anglin 95, how does the addition of Trill Suggs affect the defensive line rotation for the rest of the season? Matty, I know you kind of already alluded to it, but maybe you just help us figure out the role for Trill Suggs. Yeah, well, the big thing that you're going to get for Terrell Suggs, I think he fits a little bit better than Passanio as an early down defensive end. I think he's a little bit better against the run than he is. I like what I've seen out of Demoni Harris against the run, but he's also looks like he's probably 250, 255 pounds at most. I think Suggs just gives you a little bit more, a little bit more of a stout presence on the edge. 
that veteran kind of leadership, veteran play. He's not going to get fooled as often on the edge with play action, read options when you start playing against some of these more mobile quarterback teams. So he just gives you an early down guy. If his pass rush is teeing off, if you need some extra juice off the edge, you can always put him out there. Like Craig was saying, he's not really that much of a threat to shoot around up the arc anymore, but he's very good with his hands. He's very powerful. He can still take a tackle one-on-one and make it very miserable for him trying to protect the quarterback. Yeah, that's exactly what you see when you turn on the tape. You see a guy that... Uh, when he tries to win with speed up the arc, realizes he can't, he transfers it to power really, really easily. A, a lot of these left tackles that Suggs will get pressure with have actually played him pretty well, and then they try and anchor against him and just get driven right back into the quarterback's lap. It's, it's similar to what we'd kind of seen out of Frank Clark you know, in Seattle, where we talk about how he wins with power so often. He hadn't been able to this year. Suggs wins with power in that same way, so he's definitely a Spags defensive end. And, I mean, you just figure it out. You look at the teams that tried to claim him. They're all Super Bowl contenders. I think that should tell you. I know that we were a little bit worried, you know, based on some of his comments that he wasn't going to show up saying that he only wanted to play for the Ravens. I'm not so sure that he's saying that publicly and his agent is also calling some teams behind the scenes and saying, hey, uh, he really only wants to play for a contender. We're, We're putting that out there publicly, but... He doesn't want to go play for Pittsburgh. He doesn't want to go play for the Titans or the Cowboys or whoever the case may be. He wants a legit shot and go figure the five best teams basically in the league were willing to go out and get him. So that should speak to you about the quality that he is and about what the NFL thinks of him that all five of the major Super Bowl contenders were willing to go out and get him. Just a couple additional thoughts because these guys basically touched everything. One thing I think is interesting, I think he's played over 40 snaps in every single game he's played, and he played in 13 games before being released before the 14th game, which I think is interesting. Started in 13. And started in 13. Uh, I don't know if that says much about because it's the Cardinals. But uh, (laughs) I think the other thing is I don't want to turn this into like the Chiefs just got a, you know, uh, a top shelf, you know, player in the league right now. Mm-hmm. But what I think, uh, but the reason I think we're all excited is because this was the best player you were going to get at this point in the season, hands down. It's not even close. These guys don't come available very often, and so you know, a guy, a rotational pass rusher, a rotational edge, who's already got five and a half sacks under his belt, which is a nice little stat line. I think that would fit him like third on the Chiefs. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they're getting him this late in the process is a nice little boost for this football team. And, and I think you've got to be thrilled for getting someone like this right before you're about to make a run at a Super Bowl. And this team looks like they might be heading towards making a run at a Super Bowl because things are starting to click a little bit more. More on that here in a little bit. And let's yeah. just get into... Oh, you got one more thing, Craig? I got, I got one more thing. This is also a January mentality guy. We talk a lot about how Frank Clark and Tyron Matthew have changed the culture, changed the mentality on this defense. This dude has been there. He's done it before a lot in January. You're bringing in a guy that that can kind of be in there to guide and shape these young players that maybe haven't had those kind of opportunities to come in and play at that level. 
and you know he's going to he's that kind of guy i mean he he's got that kind of tenacity and that kind of mentality it's literally a win 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 situation uh, there's no bad outcome here honestly well and piggyback and kind Let's of jump into of what you guys said it was just wanted to say real quick that uh, I just wanted to We just want to talk about Terrell Suggs. No, I just want to piggyback because Kent was talking about how it's a better guy than you're going to pick up anywhere else this time of the season. You're talking about his mentality. Here's the thing. Terrell Suggs, you can put him out there for your 40, 50 snaps. Over that whole course, he's still going to be better than Passanio or Harris is going to be on this team right now. He may not be great. He may not even have no as doubt. many good flashes as those guys have. But over 40 snaps, especially in the playoffs – a team is not going to attack Terrell Suggs over and over and over again if they're finding success because he simply won't let it happen. He will find a way to be effective in that role. He's not going to be a weak link, and I think just showing up your potential weakest link is worth noting right away. No doubt. Uh, okay, let's jump into the five-star review questions. We got a couple of those. Uh, Mark is nine ninety-nine. Hey, guys, love the pod. I hear you guys talking about how great one Thornhill has been. Uh, but other than a few splash plays, I haven't really noticed him. Relatively new to football, so if you could put in perspective how his production this year compares to his his draft class, the veteran production, and maybe similar career arcs based on style and production, I'd appreciate it. Uh, that's a lot, I know, Craig, but if, if you can try to just guide it there a little bit, that'd I'll, be great. I'll try because I'm also a generally terrible at comps and player comps and things <laughs> like that. As far as this year's class, I don't know that there's a whole lot of guys. I mean, we were very high on Chauncey Gardner-Johnson coming out. Juan's been better than he has. Kari Willis has been very good, but I feel like Juan has still been better than he has. So I I think that if I had to pick of all of the rookie safeties right now, I, he might be... The top guy, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm really trying to pick my brain here a little bit. He's been better than Hooker, Adderley, you know, uh, Taylor Rapp, Jonathan Abram got hurt. So I, I do think that he's really been kind of the top shelf of this class. Uh, as far as a similar career arc, again, I'm, I'm terrible at that. It, on the back end, Juan Thornhill has the range to help both guys over the top on the outside and the ability to kind of kick down and cover guys in man coverage. You've seen him cover Julian Edelman. You saw him cover some of the Broncos wide receivers this week. Saw him come up and make a play on Noah Fant there. But basically the Chiefs haven't allowed a ton of explosive pass plays this year. Part of that's because Juan Thornhill is deep and able to keep a lid on the top of the defense. That, so you're not seeing him as much because he's off the screen and he's protecting those guys deep. But the fact that they're not feeling like they can go deep over the top and beat Juan Thornhill in that way should tell you that he's doing a good job on the back end and the tape does back that up once we get the All-22. Like Craig said, I think it's kind of hard to see a lot of what Juan Thornhill does because he is playing so much off the screen. He's playing a lot of that deep center field you don't get to see a lot of his plays unless he's either getting beat or you see him making a play on the ball. And when that comes one, you know, every other game or one per game, it seems like it's just these few and far between splash plays. But what you really have to think about is the Chiefs are one of the better teams in terms of giving up explosive plays through the air up the middle of the field. 
that's kind of where Juan Thornhill's spending most of his time. He's doing a good job along with Tyron Matthew, sitting in that area, keeping people from getting big gains down the middle. You see him fly up the field and make these aggressive plays near the line of scrimmage too. And it's not like Thornhill's been limited to just sitting in the back, only playing kind of, you know, pass coverage. He'll come up and make plays in the run game. He's taken some man coverage reps. So he's proven to be pretty versatile, but his biggest thing that he's doing right now is just playing that center field role. And I'm not comparing him to Earl Thomas, but it's that general role is what you have him out there for. You have him out there to be over the top, to show off his elite range, because he does have some crazy speed. And when he sees a play, he can get moving and then has the ball skills to make plays once he's back there. So you're looking for that type of play from him. And now, will it ever be as good as Earl Thomas or an Ed Reed type? No, but that's the type of player you're looking for. You're not expecting him to man cover a slot receiver or to play in the box routinely. You're looking for a guy that's going to prevent the big plays down the middle of the field and make those few flash plays when he gets a chance to. Uh, just, just so you know, Juan Thornhill is tied for fifth among safeties in interceptions with three he and honey badger both have three so he's got some ball production something this team definitely needed and i mean yeah, to I mean, to, I, to to be fair Ty, tyra matthew technically has four and juan thornhill has two but you know up, the refs Greg. had to get involved nope. there but in, stats don't lie stats tyra don't lie. matthew ever, also has like ever, three ever, more ever. dropped ones uh ryan mackey yeah that's true yeah. <laughs> bum <laughs> Ryan Mackey, hey guys, can you explain the salary cap increase and how it looks for helping current contracts and new contracts? Love everything you guys do. So, I mean, there's there's a small uptick in in these cap space, and that's been rising every year, but it's nothing significant, and it's not too far off the, from what teams were projecting and anticipating. So, it's not really going to help the Chiefs any different than any other team that's out there. Uh, everybody else is kind of anticipating the same kind of cap figure rises and changes. Um, every single season. So um, I don't know if it's really going to, if it really benefits the Chiefs. They, the Chiefs can make a little bit of a wiggle room uh, if, if they play their cards right. Um, there's some contracts that they can very easily get out of next year. So um, they could. I think they could get up to $50 million in cap space to pay Patrick Mahomes and or Chris Jones and or whatever else they want to do. So they'll be just fine. Let's go ahead and jump to some of the Twitter questions now. Adam Cole asks, how bad good would it be if the rest of the season were snow games? Patrick Mahomes looked exceptional in the snow, and you kind of found out later afterwards that you know the first snow game he'd really played in was against the Colts in the playoffs last year um, per Patrick Mahomes. Um, and then uh, he said he really liked playing in the snow uh, with the with the with a little bit of like a, a stickiness to the football it kind of helped him grip the football a little bit so he actually really enjoyed the conditions so maybe we should just maybe we should just have you know the rest of the games in the in the snow especially since Mahomes can just ice his hand for the entire game because of that right guys if that's what we're shooting for, I guess um, at this point in time, the offenses look the most effective playing in the snow. <laughs> so um, bring on the snow. But in reality, I think what you saw, and I think this was pretty obvious going into the game, when you have this much snow, so much snow that was out there, it actually slows down the pass rush quite a bit. Guys cannot make hard cuts leaning into offensive linemen. They can't really turn up the field and make a sharp turn and turn the corner. You can't get a good edge rush when it's that the field's just going to be that slick. That made it a lot easier for Patrick Mahomes to step up in the pocket 
which he did a good job of. We've talked about this a lot. He did a lot better job stepping up in the pocket. I think the snow slowing down the pass rushers helped that. I think you got him a little bit more confident with his arm. He said he likes throwing the ball in the snow. Have at it. If that makes you feel more confident, if that makes you trust your offensive line a little bit more, then yeah, we can play every game in the snow from here on out. Yeah, uh, Clearly, Patrick Mahomes is not human. If this makes him grip the ball better, which makes the second non-human on this team with Sammy Watkins. So I'm, I'm all for it. Let's get as many <laughs> of these non-humans in here. Simu7, I feel like we only saw Shady McCoy in the first quarter. I don't think he fumbled. Was this a case of extreme load management, or did he do something bad? I, there's a lot. I, I still don't have a good pulse at all on the LaShawn McCoy situation. Sometimes I wonder if load management. The load management argument would be, you know, the Chiefs kind of got out to a lead. They are just shutting him down any chance they get, and say they actually are saving him for the playoffs. So any they're kind of managing the game by game. Anytime that they think that they can get away with you know other running backs, then by all means. But I don't think that's what's going on. I don't think I don't know if they like what they're seeing with Lashawn Lashawn McCoy. I don't think I don't know if they just I, I don't know if he's more than a warm body right now. I, I it, there's there's a lot up in the air about him right now. And I don't have a good pulse whatsoever about the situation with LaShawn McCoy, Maddie. They seem to start every game with LaShawn McCoy. He seems to be the guy to start every single game, whether it's passes, runs, like they're using him to start. And then as the game tapers on, his usage decreases and decreases. Now, I did see him after the first quarter. It just was a lot more sparingly. I don't know if they trust LaShawn McCoy hardly at all in the passing game, it seems like they don't really want him to stay in the pass protection. And if you're going to have a running back go out in a route, I fully understand why you'd want to consider Darwin Thompson or even Spencer Ware, who is a threat to deliver a devastating block before going out onto his route. So I think that plays a big part. Maybe McCoy in their mind tips their hand a little bit more that they're more likely to run. I wonder if that would be an interesting thing to look at though run pass percentage with him on the field compared to other running backs just because I I don't know what it is but as the game goes on they use him less and it seems like they don't trust him as much in the passing game that would be my only guess at this point in time I do want to note here that LaShawn McCoy was on the field for the Chiefs first two drives of the game and then was removed in the first quarter and then he was on the field for the first drive out of the second half and he actually touched the ball three times out of the second half and then didn't touch the ball again after that. So I do think that there's – I think he's the clear number one back for Andy Reid, whether or not you know Darwin Thompson is more explosive or Spencer Ware is a better pass protector. I do think that LaShawn McCoy is the number one back, and I just think that we are seeing a concerted effort to keep his legs as fresh as possible going into the postseason. Maybe. <laughs> Probably. I don't know. AJP 1182, what is wrong with the red zone offense, Matt? Everything? Um, <laughs> I, I don't think there's a specific answer yet. I think some of the stuff that we've been talking about, I think the Chiefs route combinations are a little predictable, and that that's different routes in the red zone, but it's still the same stuff over and over again. There's going to be somebody, usually from the slot, going to the corner. It might even be from a tight split in the slot on the opposite side of the field, crossing the field of the corner. But there is going to be a player going to the corner. 
nearly everybody else is going to be running mesh and you're going to get a running back wheeling out into the sideline at some point in time. You can break down almost any of the Chiefs red zone reps and that's the general combination. You're going to get some form of that almost every single time. The times you don't are going to be quarterback sprint outs. And we saw when they ran it to the field side, they netted a touchdown out of it. Unfortunately, they run that to the boundary side a lot, which is incredibly infuriating. So I just think the lack of space because you can't threaten a team vertically and just very predictable route combinations or at least spaces on the field the team is attacking has become a big deal. You're not really getting many slants, Liddy posts, things up the seams in the red zone. I don't think teams are preparing for those as much. They're squeezing down on what they know the Chiefs are going to do. I just think they've become very predictable in the red zone. And speaking to the predictability of that, uh, a linebacker stepped back into the mesh point and laid Sammy Watkins out on the chief first trip down there in the red zone. Just knew it was coming, knew where he was going to be, stepped into it, laid him out. So I, I think that, I think that we're not seeing the creativity in the red zone that we've seen outside of a Travis Kelsey direct snap last week. But I do think. I think maybe it's going to get better. I hope it's going to get better because right now they're cutting the field in the half and they're running predictable routes. I would much rather see the Chiefs on with first and goal at the ten, than or and, and goal at the ten than and goal at the five. Yeah, I mean or and I goal just, at the fifteen, even better. And goal more at the fifteen. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. You you get Kelsey on some of those little skinny posts and stuff when you're ten out. Inside five, you get Travis Kelsey taking a direct snap. <laughs> so, um, I, I think you just got to take the good with the bad. Just hope that they make explosive plays and don't have to worry about their red zone offense. Lolit McGee asks, after mostly trashing Brett Veach all 2019, can y'all, Maddie Lane, in parentheses, give him some credit for the amazing job he's done, hitting on almost all 2019 draft picks, free agents, trades, everything? Maddie? Well, we still don't have a single cornerback on this team that can cover a wide receiver. Your best cover guy is your best safety that you have to play at corner because your other corners are terrible. Oh, that's a corner, Kendall Ford, that your GM that you're talking about traded for. So, I mean, let's hold off on praising everything Brett Veach has done. I think you can isolate the 2018 draft and call it absolutely god-awful. You can isolate the 2019 draft and say it's looking pretty good right now. I never had any complaints with this year's free agency class. I love Frank Clark. I love Tyron Matthew. I think Veach has made good moves. I think Veach has made bad moves looking at Anthony Hitchens, paying Sammy Watkins, who just simply is inconsistent week to week, so much money. The two drafts are split. You've essentially got a 50-50 split right now of things Brett Veach has done good, things Brett Veach has done bad. I think anybody that was calling for him to be fired already – was wrong. I think anybody that is calling for him to be one of the best GMs in the league right now based on this one season is also wrong. He's trending up right now, but he still has to fix a lot of different stuff going forward. He's definitely going to need to have a repeat of 2019 next year to fix all of the positions next year because there's going to be a lot of holes. But honestly... If he trends close to 2019, they can find some stop gaps and some spots, and they can still field a really, really talented roster next year. But it's got to be closer to 2019 because 2018 really was abysmal. But yes, I, I agree. Basically, everything that he's put his hands on in 2019 has been pretty much gold. And, yeah. and now, all of a sudden, he's getting Terrell Suggs. 
late in the year, at, you know, for nothing. So, I, man, I you can't hate just about anything outside of maybe the cornerback depth. But, you know, whatever. Beggars can't be choosers. There, there'll and, be one spot. And they're surviving with the yes. corners that they have. Which, uh, they are playing well at and quarterback. And I, I think you've got to credit partially Tyron Matthew and Juan Thornhill mm-hmm. for that too, which mm-hmm. are Brett Veach moves. Um, yeah, 2018, he just dug himself in a massive hole. Like I think that's really just where it's at. He needed 2019 to be good, and 2019 has been very good. If you've listened to the show, I think a lot of our opinions on 2019 have been largely positive. Largely positive, but not entirely. Like, grab a cornerback. Anyways, <laughs> uh, we're going to take a break, and we will be back with more questions right after this. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. All right, continuing on with Twitter questions for the 100th episode of the AP Laboratory. Thank you guys so much. That's ridiculous. Uh, Casey Royal 5280 asks, if you had to choose one to be for performing at their best come playoffs, are you choosing offense or defense? Offense, 1,000%, because the best version of this offense is the explosive generational type offense that you've seen in the past. If this offense plays at full capacity, they are going to win a Super Bowl. Patrick LeVon Mahomes will be going on a tear in the playoffs if that happens. And it'll be stuff of legend. And it'll remind everyone of the guy that threw 50 touchdowns and 5,000 yards in his first season as a starter. What's the other side of the ball playing? Like, are they playing at their absolute worst? Are they playing at middle of the pack? Like, what's the other side of the ball doing in this scenario? Oh, don't don't Maddie this up. Don't Maddie this up. Don't <laughs> well, Maddie this up. Here's the thing. 
if I get to get a top five offense out of the Chiefs and get the Chiefs defense playing at their best, which has apparently been a top five level defense, then why would I not pick the defense? But if one of them has to be average while the other one gets to play at their best, then I'm picking the offense because the offense simply matters more and the offense at its best is better than the defense at its best. So it really depends what I'm going to get out of the other side, how to answer this question correctly and not just fire from the hip, Kent. <laughs> You're both you're both clearly wrong. It's defense because I enjoy writing about good defense and it's about me. So yeah, next. That's true. All right, Rise of Mahomes. Well, which of the potential AFC teams are you scared of in the playoffs, Matt? I mean, I think you'd be a little silly not to say the Ravens right now. I the Ravens I think the Chiefs match up very well with the Ravens. We'll get probably a lot deeper into this later on. I think the Chiefs are a difficult matchup for the Ravens. I think that's why the Chiefs are 2 and 0 against them and every other team has seemed to struggle a lot more than that. But when you watch the Ravens play right now, they are doing everything extremely well. It looks easy for them. They're easily getting pressure without particularly good pass rushers in terms of skill. Like they are very bad in terms of beating blockers. They're just a very good blitzing team. They get pressure nonstop. Marcus Peters has helped that secondary go from really good to amazing. They can shut down anybody. Their offense has tight ends running wide open left and right. They can run the ball with whoever they want, whenever they want. The Ravens have easily looked like the best team down the stretch in the NFL. So I mean, I think anybody else would be a little bit of a wild pick to me. Yeah, it, it's the Ravens are the most scary. I, I think that we all have this, you know, Tennessee Titans in the back of our heads right now just because we've got bad memories about the Titans in the playoffs. Derrick Henry is the type of guy that can just come in and ruin a lot of what the Chiefs do. You know, they'll just commit to the run and, you know, they'll allow Ryan Tannehill to do just enough. Even though they're not a great team by any means, they're just a poor matchup. Uh, the rest of the AFC, nah. I'm not I'm not really worried about them. I mean, Texans have a kind of explosive offense, but their defense isn't particularly good. You know, the Steelers have a great defense, but their offense isn't particularly good. And the Patriots, well, we saw what happened two weeks ago. So I'm not I'm not really worried about anybody else. I'm not worried about anyone if Patrick Mahomes is healthy. I'm not worried. I think they I think they are gonna have a good chance a very good chance to beat anyone that comes in front of them if Patrick Mahomes is healthy. I really believe that. I'm starting to get some good vibes seeing him play through the injured hand this week, albeit against an ungood football team, Cortland Sutton. Uh, I, I, I'm starting to feel like this thing's starting to trend in the right direction. We saw a more of a pulse offensively than we've seen since Patrick Mahomes got back from the dislocated kneecap. These next two weeks are going to be big challenges, even if they have a hiccup in the next two weeks. I think that I think they just reminded they reminded us this week that there's still a lot of good things to like about this offense, and if they pull it all together, and if Patrick Mahomes is healthy, I think they're going to have a chance because Andy Reid is in every game. He's in every game, and if Patrick Mahomes is healthy in a game, you got to feel good. I'm not scared of anybody. Could be famous last words. Chief Lutz. Who would you like to see the Chiefs play in the first round? Well, 
the Chiefs aren't going to be playing in the first round. Woo! So first game of the year or for the playoffs, I guess it'll have to be the three seed Patriots in Arrowhead after the bye week. Booking it. Woo! Yeah, the Chiefs like are it. definitely going to play themselves in the first round of the playoffs as they practice for the following upcoming week. But uh, then when they play at Arrowhead oh. in the second round of the playoffs, they're going to play the Buffalo Bills because, let's be honest, nobody is scared of Josh Allen. Ooh. <laughs> uh, I'm rooting. We should all be rooting for our beloved Buffalo Bills uh, this Sunday against the New England Patriots because if they win, the Chiefs and the Chiefs win out. They do get that by week, and that would just be delightful. And um, kids gonna jump through a table. I'd like to see no. I look at the asterisk after 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 that tweet. <laughs> I would like to see the Titans again. Last year we last year we fought the demons off about the Colts. I'm ready to fight those Titans demons off again. The last game I got to go at is at Arrowhead because of all the Chiefs, all the Arrowhead prior responsibilities on Sundays and stuff with the pregame show was the Titans playoff game. Yikes! I am I am unafraid. Don't be afraid of. We bad are teams. done being losers here in Kansas City. It's it's t- it's time for optimism and positivity. This, it, this we're we're flipping the script. Robbie Bennett asks, "Can you talk about Damone Harris' background?" I've seen quite a few people ask him ask about him. Great work this season. So uh, the Chiefs claimed Damone Harris off of the Baltimore Ravens practice squad. Uh, he's a guy that. Uh, was an undrafted free agent, I believe, out of South Carolina State. Uh, I think he was on the active roster for a while with Baltimore. I think he might have been on the active roster for the Buccaneers at one point too. Uh, but he's—I mean—he's a guy that fits the profile uh, that that you know kind of makes sense outside on the edge. I believe he's you know 270 pounds, uh, and I, I really like what I've seen out of him. Honestly, I mean. I, I don't think you. I think it two, two. The Chiefs had three tackles for loss last week, uh, last night, and Damone Harris had two of them. I think you've got to really like him as a rotational edge, as a depth player moving forward. Just in case we have any uh, Buffalo fans out there, Damone Harris is a Buffalo. I do not know your guys' mascot, but he did come from uh, the Buffalo Bulls. I think there was a lot of hype for him when he started as a sophomore there. That he was. Oh, sorry. I thought he was South Carolina State. My bad. No, you're good. I just I want to make sure we don't offend any Buffalo Bulls fans around here. I think there was some hype around him when he was like a sophomore, junior, that he was going to kind of be the next Khalil Mack. It never really transpired. He kind of struggled, not struggled, but he just didn't pop off like I think a lot of people there thought he would. Then, like Ken said, he bounced around some practice squads. The Chiefs got him, and he's been very good for them so far. So I think we should all be very happy that he did bounce around from the Buccaneers to the Ravens, and then on to the Chiefs. He was active with the Bucks. He was only practice squad with the Ravens, and now he is active and very much alive for the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, okay, Alex Buher asks, your favorite moments over the 100 episodes outside of drafting Patrick LeVon Mahomes? We actually didn't have a show when Patrick LeVon Mahomes was drafted. Uh, but favorite moment over the 100 episodes, I don't know if he's talking about specifically on the show. <laughs> um, my, favorite, my favorite moment on the show has been Maddie's training camp game, which was just that was the a, ultimate such a good game. Fire. I need better contestants <laughs> next year. He's make making us do like math with with the numbers of players. Like most receiving yards for a player that doesn't wear the number ten. 
uh, okay, thanks. Or does it have double consonants in their names or something like that? Uh, favorite moment to happen during our our reign? Uh, probably the Colts playoff victory. Maddie. For me, it's just about any draft-related thing, but specifically, <laughs> I, I liked our live kind of podcast when we were driving to Mobile, Alabama from New Orleans. We did it in a car. It was a lot of fun. We had our pal Jake with us. It, it was fun being in the same uh, room, car, as everybody else having the podcast. It's it obvious. It's no surprise that uh, when we get to talk drafts, I get a little bit more excited than uh, just talking about the games during the week as much as I love the Chiefs. The draft's just a little bit more exciting for me, so... uh when I get that A-OK, that's that's where we get real perked up. My favorite moment over the 100 episodes was the episode that I wasn't in. That was great. <laughs> you yeah, guys you really seem like many. You, you guys seem like you had a great time. Uh, it, w- it was very good. Our buddy uh, Staggs filled in, and he's always great to listen to. So that's my personal favorite episode, the one that I wasn't in. Oh, that's so comforting. Um <laughs> I have another new favorite when you two did it without me and had the longest episode to date, but yet blame me for talking too much every time. We did do that. That, that, that was yeah. good. I don't even, time just really slipped away from us because, like, we didn't feel like neither of us felt like we had to rein Maddie in or keep our takes constrained. So, and we you know, knowing that we knowing didn't that really had do a pregame kind of thing where we get out some of this discussion and we talk football with each other so that actually (laughs) made it on the pod yeah we just fleshed it out behind the curtain we talk for a while guys it's it's not just show up do the podcast and leave sort of situation um yeah (laughs) so like we were i mean maddie and craig were talking for an hour before we started recording i came on a little bit afterwards it is not uncommon for us to talk till well after the show is over that's when the tinfoil hat theories get out and every now and then the tinfoil hats make it to the show we're gonna have to make a tinfoil tangent podcast guys oh raw talk sports can we please get an official rant about the refs in this game kent swanson or at kent swanson aka rant swanson i don't know why i don't think this is the game to go on a rant about the refs what are you talking about there was a Terrible BS holding call against Charvarius Ward that wiped out a Honey Badger interception. Okay. Well, I this was not the game to talk about the refs. The refs are a dumpster fire this year across the National Football League. I don't think the 23 game, 23-3 game in the snow where a holding call was rightly made on Charvarius Ward so that Juan Thornhill could ultimately get the interception that allowed me to gloat on Craig Stout. Uh, Casual Pablo asks, or he says, congratulations on reaching 100 episodes on the podcast. Keep doing a great job. Uh, My question for the three of you is, of all the defensive players you've seen since the start of the decade, which could you say is the best and most emblematic for the Chiefs? Thanks. Greets from Mexico. Pablo, the fact that you are listening from Mexico is part of what we are so excited about with this show. Thank you so much for listening. You don't know how much it means to me that people from other countries are listening to us talk about the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah. Uh, but let's answer Pablo's question. Uh, of uh, all the defensive players, uh, most the best and most emblematic for the Chiefs this decade? On Derek Johnson. Heartbeat. Derek Johnson right there. Ooh. It's not close. He's he's my favorite Chief 
of arguably all time. I love linebackers. It's a shame that this team doesn't love them as much as I do, uh, <laughs> or they love slow ones. Um, Derek Johnson was the glue that held together a lot of those Chiefs front sevens in the early 2010s. Uh, he he kind of personified what that team was at the time. He just kept going and was always there, always around the ball. He was a splash player, and he was, you know, he never quit. I, the, the game took it from him. He didn't he didn't walk out when he was ready. He wanted to still be playing. If it was up to him, I think he'd still be out there. He just wants to do this so badly, and he genuinely loved Kansas City. He genuinely loved the fans. I, I it, it hurt him to have to go, and yeah, I, I just feel like he's kind of the shining beacon of this defense in in this decade. I think Derek Johnson was probably going to be my answer, but I very much knew that that's where Craig was going to go with that before we started. <laughs> so I had my backup prepared. I I think the, another very obvious choice, another fan favorite is going to be Tom Bahali. I think you have a guy that didn't possess elite physical tools. He wasn't the fastest. He was big, but he wasn't the biggest. He wasn't the strongest. He was a guy that worked incredibly hard at his craft. He found ways to make his game work, and he was excellent at it. He had a long career. He gave 100% almost all the time. He played on some bad Chiefs teams. He got moved around to positions. They had him dropping in coverage when he weighed 280 pounds and moved like a 280-pounder. He did everything they asked of him. He gave it his all. He was an excellent player. I like his dedication to the game, his dedication to getting better. I probably like Derek Johnson as a person, as a leader a little bit more than Tom Bahali. But I think that Tom Bahali, what he did was he was a guy that just kind of showed, he proved that you don't have to be elite as an athlete. You don't have to be a Derek Johnson level athlete to be one of the best players on the field any given play. I think that's something that really holds true to the Chiefs as they don't always have the most talented defensive players out there from an athletic perspective. So I thought you were going to go with Eric Berry, and then I was going to tell a Duntari Poe joke because Duntari Poe threw a touchdown pass, and I'm an offensive guy. But anyways, I'm just going to go with Eric Berry. Um, I, you know, I, it ended. it didn't end the way I think anybody wanted it to, but the story of Eric Berry is going to it, – it, it resonates beyond – the football field it resonates in life uh the perseverance the um the all that he overcame to get back on the football field and play at a very very high level after being diagnosed with cancer i i don't think i, I don't think i don't think i i all, all due respect to tamba and all due respect to dj like that 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 story sticks with me still. It's just it's a really cool story. Obviously, it didn't end this the way we all wanted it to or hoped it would. And obviously, you know, cancer took its toll on his body because there was there was some struggles to 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 rebound afterwards. But man, that that's that's a story you're going to be telling your kids someday. Jake for Jesus asks considering the time the D took to gel is Tyron Matthew the best safety in the National Football League Matty this is one of the most underplayed storylines in the NFL right now because the national narrative is still the Chiefs defense sucks 
The Chiefs defense has been very good lately, and a large part of that is due to Tyron Matthew. Not only has he been the best safety in the league the latter half of the year so far, he's probably been one of the top three defensive players in all of the NFL over that time period. And I don't even think that he was that far behind that to start the season. He had a few more ups and downs, so I get it, not having the height from the get-go. But you cannot watch the Chiefs defense and see 32 flying all over the field. And when you settle down and actually watch what they're asking him to do from literally playing slot cornerback against other teams' number one wide receivers at times to playing deep safety to crashing through the middle, he's literally doing everything this team could ask him to do, and he's doing it very well. If you got to take his latter half of the year and transpose it over the entire season, he should 100% be in the mix for the defensive player of the year the way he's been playing lately. I think he might even get a late push if he continues this these last couple games to get a couple votes. But yeah, he's playing like the best safety in the NFL right now. And I know there's a lot of great ones out there. You're Eddie Jackson's, Earl Thomas. There's guys out there that can compete. But Tyron Matthews doing them more than they are and doing what they're doing just as good when he's put in that position. Yeah, uh, I think the only one that really has a, has a bone to pick with being the best safety, safety in the league would be Jamal Adams. Jamal has been very, very good this year, but even still, not as good as Tyron Matthews been. Tyron, that play he made against Cortland Sutton, we we need Whoa. to still be talking about that. He straight up stole. He stole a touchdown from Cortland Sutton, and Cortland Sutton is going to be salty about it until next year. He did it with swag too. Oh my goodness! It it looks slowed down. Like he just like give me that little boy, and Uh like I just like it was at full speed. This isn't a this isn't a guy that's like bad at high pointing and coming down with balls either. This Cortland Sutton, that's what he does. Like he's strong at the catch point. Tyron Matthew just straight up ripped it out of his hands and then flexed on him afterwards. And that was the most impressive play he made on the day. He had a tackle for loss where he rock rock bottomed a running back. (laughs) He had a pass breakup diving across the middle, and he should have had an interception that Kent refuses to acknowledge. Tyron Matthew is part of the reason why Juan Thornhill is playing the way that he is. Tyron Matthews part of the reason why this secondary is all on the same page and playing the way that they are. He is Spagnolo's brain out there in that secondary, and my goodness, they've all responded to him. They're listening to him, and it's just it's a very strong relationship out there. He is the most important player to this defense, and I, I love Frank Clark, but it's not close. Tyron Matthew is that guy to this defense. I am... I am just uh, so happy that he's playing the way that he is. He's getting better every week. I want to end with this because I've been talking for a long time. Juan Thornhill was asked by Mitch Holthus, did it seem like there were five Tyron Matthews out there with you tonight in the postgame? That's that's a great quote because it did. He was literally everywhere all game long. I'm just so happy he's playing to this level. I mean, the way I think it's just the style he did it with, too. I mean, just a beautiful pass breakup in the middle of the field, uh, ripping the ball out of Cortland Sutton, <laughs> rock bottoming somebody, and, and an interception that didn't count. I mean, look, we've had our gripes about the cornerback position all year. I 100% believe the reason that it hasn't hurt the Chiefs is because of Tyron Matthew. 
I really do believe that. I said that a little bit earlier in the show. I think you've got to credit Tyron Matthew and Juan Thornhill for some of the success that they're having in the se- a lot of the success they're having is in the secondary. And I think you got to credit Tyron Matthew for Juan Thornhill's success. He has changed the outlook of this defense, and it's just getting started. They got him for two more years. Hmm. Keep building on this thing. Craig is squirming mm. with with glee. love it. The Real K Swag asks, are Honey Badger and Juan Thornhill the best safety duo in the league? If not, who do you have above them? I don't have one above them. I really don't. Like, I, I saw this question earlier, and I tried to think of one, and I'm sure there are contenders, but I can't even fathom any right now. Juan is playing so well in his role. Tyron Matthew is playing so well in, like, every role that the Chiefs could possibly put him right. in. It's it's hard to argue that those two aren't the best safety tandem in the league. It's like you said, they are improving everybody around them. It's the reason why the secondary is as good as they are. And yeah, they're going to be on this team and starters for another couple of years. I just, I'm so excited to see it. I, I don't, I can't come up with another one. I think the first one that people are going to probably think of is the Ravens because they have Earl Thomas and he's everyone's favorite safety. Tony Jefferson's a quality safety. Mm-hmm. He's very limited in what he can do. He is a liability in coverage at times. Like I think you have to rule them out immediately. I like the Bears with Eddie Jackson, ha, Clinton Dix, but I don't think those guys together mm-hmm. have been anywhere near the level of Honey Badger or Juan Thornhill. No. I have a couple more here. I have two more here. This is the one that's the hard for me because I think Kevin Bayard is right up there with Tyron Matthew for the best safety in the NFL. He can do everything. He is my number oh, two yeah. safety right now. I didn't mention him earlier. He's really good. Kenny Vaccaro's playing very well for the Titans, but I think Juan Thornhill's mm-hmm. got him beat out by plenty still. Kenny Vaccaro, again, a little bit of limitations. And here's the one. The number two safety duo in the NFL, we just played them. Justin Simmons and Kareem Jackson. Both those guys yeah. can do everything a yeah. yeah. safety can do. Both those guys can play deep in the box, in the slot. They are very good players, and Justin Simmons is incredibly young. They're looking up. But no, right now, I think the Chiefs' safeties edge them out just a little bit because, like we just said, there's five Tyron Matthews out there on the field at every play because you just don't know where he's going to show up at. <laughs> Justin just, Simmons' pick at the goal line. My goodness. That was a great read. That was a great list. read by he's him. A very hate good to uh, yeah. Hate to admit that. Yeah, I don't like to admit that, but... It's just wild that this is where we're at. This is the question we're asking about Chief Safeties <laughs> being the best duo in the National Last year, Football were League. they the 32nd best duo in the National Football League? Yes. Yes, they were. Ron Ugh. Parker. I know. Ugh. Daniel. Dan Sorensen and Jordan Lucas. Were they the third? Yes, they were. All the blood. <laughs> <laughs> or Monty Watts. That the the Lucas locomotive bit is probably one of the top oh, yeah. of, of the last. Yeah, we got to actually ask him about the Lucas locomotive bit. That that's got to make the list. Pete, yeah, Pete botched Pete, it. Yeah, Let's Pete just be did, honest. But still, Pete botched yeah. it. <laughs> the nickname. It's not a nickname. It's a lifestyle. Uh, <laughs> Nick Harges said, "Y'all got any more draft season content from Chief in Carolina? It's got the Chappelle." Uh, crack scratch. Um, Brandon four twenty two asks a question for Chief in Carolina. How would you feel if the NFL got rid of the draft and every player just became a free agent coming out? I'm interested in this one. 
Brandon, no, stop, delete the Twitter account. We don't need to go there. Nick, yes, more draft content coming before every bowl game. Not every. I'm going to try to do most bowl games. I will tweet out players to watch the Chiefs might that I think the Chiefs might be interested in those games. Be on the lookout for those. I'll try to stay on top of them, but there's a lot of bowl games with some schools I haven't seen enough of to really be on top of. Well, if the NFL did that, I would become a very big XFL fan, and they may not have a draft, but it would just be for the principle of the matter. Keep the draft. I, I think it would be very interesting if, if only because Chase Young could come play in Kansas City. I mean, I'd be cool with that. He, he can come play on my football team next year, and C.D. Lamb can come play on my football team next year. I'm more than willing to pay those guys. Lots I, of money. Hate, why ruin a perfect thing? The NFL draft is perfect. Wasted Motion asks, from what, I, what, from what you've seen, this is just a, a draft a draft question, Maddie, for you, just because it's our 100th episode. From what you've seen from draft and analysis, would you consider the New England area the least athletically talented region in the country? It's got to be up there. Like, I don't, I don't want to offend anybody from the Northeast. But you don't want to offend Patriots fans. Sport besides, you don't want to offend Patriots fans. Like, come on. No. No, I don't. Me and some Patriots fans are cool. Me and others aren't. But I'm not trying to offend anybody here. If you're good at a sport that is played outdoors, you move away from the New England area as fast as humanly possible so you can <laughs> actually play your sport outside without getting your tongue stuck to a baseball bat or a tetherball pole or whatever else you're going to try to lick outside. Why are you licking your baseball bat? Okay? <laughs> I was getting there. The only other place in contention I'm going to say is like the like north of the Rocky Mountains, but you get some country strong folk from out there. You get some random Taven Bryan freaks from Montana or whatever he's doing where he can do everything on the planet from an athlete's perspective. I'd say they're a close second because not a lot of your best athletes when you're young move there, but no, New England takes it. Everyone moves away from there unless they play hockey or bowl. Country Boy 567 asks Kent's reaction if Ray ends up being Palpatine's granddaughter. That's a, that's a Star Wars question. Uh, it, it's a great theory and like the juxtaposition like if if if, hey if, you gotta you gotta watch spoilers here just not, oh. uh, no not the, not here but I, well, you were about to go into some stuff you gotta watch spoilers here we're about to lose all of our followers if you if you go off well i'm not gonna spoil like i i can't spoil a movie i haven't seen because it's not i'm out saying yet. the previous movies though yeah i'm just gonna you gotta be very you gotta tread con- lightly country i'll dm country i'm gonna dm you <laughs> guys that's it for the 100th episode of the ap laboratory <laughs> a fitting ending a fitting ending <laughs> where just things just don't go right thank you guys so much for listening to this episode for the last 99 here's to another 100 more we'll catch you later What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. 
You can find it on the PropG pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.